Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carol analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Is the Parkland shooter, Nicholas Cruz, a terrorist? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Today we're going to be talking about the one-year anniversary of Parkland, but from a terrorist therapist point of view, not the usual coverage that you have seen. Um, this is the question, is Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland shooter, a terrorist? Now, in a sense, of course, he is a terrorist because um, he did create terror, <laughs> a whole lot of it, and uh, he killed 17 people and injured 17 people and went on a deadly spree. Um, so in that sense, because he created this terror, he is a terrorist. But let's look at another aspect of that. Um, what about how much do the are school shooters in general influenced by ISIS or other terrorist organizations? I mean, if this seems a little far-fetched um, at first glance, <laughs> uh, let me explain to you why it isn't. Now, I'm not saying that Nicholas Cruz or any other school shooter um, was necessarily a member of ISIS or Al-Qaeda. I don't mean that. But what I do mean is that school shooters, you know, more, more recently, um, the more recent ones, I mean, the more recently they have been school shooters, the more they have been influenced, uh, I mean, obviously, since 9-11, they have been influenced by terrorists and by the attacks that terrorists uh, cause, radical Islamists I'm talking about. Why is this? Because people, school shooters, um, who particularly when they are troubled, like Nicholas Cruz was, sees news report after news report after news report of actual radical Islamist terrorists and see the uh, attention they get see the terror they cause, see how powerful these terrorists are because of the damage that they um, perpetrated. And consciously or unconsciously, this influences them to want to become a, a, a terrorist of their own, um, at least, to do this kind of make people so scared of, of them and make people believe that they are powerful because really deep down, they feel powerless. And certainly Nicholas Cruz, um, who had an extensive amount of problems, psychological problems, since he was very little, with his father dying when he was about five, and then his mother dying just before he went on this rampage, that was the trigger, and um, all kind of abuse and, and bullying and, and underlying psychiatric problems. Um, so when he would see all of the, the mayhem and all of the uh, media coverage that actual terrorists get, surely it seeped into his mind that if he did this, everybody would be sorry. You know, they would all be sorry for how they treated him, and he would get his revenge, particularly on the school from which he was uh, expelled, Parkland, the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, 
And so, and, and one of the things um, that is a little eerie uh, in terms of kind of proving the point that perhaps at least unconsciously he was influenced by actual terrorists, ISIS type terrorists, um, is the fact that he picked Valentine's Day to have his attack. Now, of course, on one level, that was because uh, Valentine's Day, when everyone is supposed to be expressing their love to everyone else, uh, to people you know who are close to them, uh, he was unloved. From the beginning, he was unloved. He was given up from, for adoption. Uh, he, was, he felt rejected by his biological parents and um, felt unloved at the school, certainly. And so that's part of it. But also, he picked a day that would make his attack particularly iconic, just like ISIS terrorists do, you know, or, or even Al-Qaeda. They, they pick um, places and dates that have particular significance so that their attack will be uh, remembered. And um, in fact, you know, <laughs> Nicholas Cruz, for as troubled and mentally ill as he is, um, by picking Valentine's Day, in a sense, spoiled Valentine's Day, at least certainly this first year, and to another extent, uh, to some extent also in the future, he made Valentine's Day, you know, the anniversaries to come to this year and, and the ones to come, uh, a sobering kind of day, because in addition to the roses and the flowers and the candy, um, we have in the back of our minds at least the awareness of Parkland happening that day, and that was such a tragedy and you know, so sad and, and so on. So just like ISIS, he picked a, um, an iconic day that will have, does have far-reaching effects. Again, I am not saying that he has pledged his loyalty to ISIS or Al-Qaeda or any other terrorist organization, but I am saying that indeed he was influenced by them and uh, to create his own kind of terror. Now, this attack that he perpetrated was the deadliest school shooting uh, that there has been so far. I'm sure someone will, uh, will uh, unfortunately, outdo him at some point. Um, he, it was, yes, this, this Valentine's Day, this one year anniversary, obviously was a trigger for PTSD for the students at Parkland, the families at Parkland, the families of the victims, um, anyone who had any closeness to, to Parkland, in addition to the rest of the world who um, felt sad, felt sympathy for them, empathy for them uh, as well. So it triggered PTSD kinds of symptoms, um, the, the, particularly, of course, for the, for the students who were there on that day. Well, right now, let me tell you about, uh, right now, Nicholas Cruz is, you know, what, I'm going to talk a little bit about what, where these people are one year later. Um, Nicholas Cruz is sitting in a jail cell awaiting trial. Um, he, his defense attorneys want to try to have him plead guilty, and he uh, is willing to do that, but that would be in exchange for the death penalty being taken off the table. And the prosecutors so far have not been willing to do that. And I think that that is really awful, quite frankly, uh, that awful that the prosecutors aren't willing to do that. Because if they have a tr I mean, nobody, there's no question as to who did it. <laughs> and so um, as far as his guilt, 
you know, they caught him within an hour. It was an hour between the time that he arrived at the school by an Uber um, and then was, was caught by the police uh, an hour later. So this whole thing went over the span of an hour, but the shooting itself was about six minutes. Um, so he is in the cell. Clearly, I, I, if I have uh, watched and I did commentary on television about his interview, his, um, his jailhouse interview, which is fascinating as a psychiatrist analyzing each of the statements that he makes and his behavior and so on. He's a really fascinating specimen, unfortunately, uh, a very deadly one. And, and of course, that, that is the key. If there is one, there are two things that make me angry when I think of Parkland. Um, I mean, the overwhelming emotion is sadness and, and, and why this keeps happening and so on. But there are two things that make me angry. One, that Nicholas Cruz um, was not stopped, was not hospitalized, because there were so many, so many opportunities when the police were called to his house um, after he shot something up or he got pushed his mother or, you know, got into some kind of trouble and he, and they went there. And amongst those times, those many times that, that he was seen by the police and some of those times they um, brought a therapist with them. Um, and none of these therapists, nor therapists who he saw both in the school program and in other, um, at other hospitals and so on, um, where he was seeing a therapist in different ways, all of them were basically were very brief, but um, none of these people hospitalized him. And in, in Florida, it's called Baker acting. Um, if you, if a person is, um, a danger to themselves or a danger to others or uh, gravely disabled, meaning they can't provide food and shelter and clothing for themselves, they can be hospitalized against their will. And yet nobody had the guts to, to do that. And had Nicholas Cruz been hospitalized against his will, Baker acted, he, that would have been a red flag when he bought these guns and he wouldn't have been able to buy the guns and this whole Parkland incident tragedy wouldn't have happened. Now, you know, this is a whole, a whole other topic that I'll, I'm sure I'll touch on and have touched on in other, um, in other shows, but this, this concept of, um, people not being who need to be hospitalized against their will and the, the mental health professionals being wimps essentially, uh, not hospitalizing them. That is a major, major problem in America today. Well, when we come back, I will continue talking about the terrorist angle of Parkland since the anniversary was this week. And, um, and I'll tell you about the other thing that makes me, uh, I said there are two things that make me really mad about, about Parkland, and I will tell you about the second thing as well. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. The Parkland shooting besides Nicholas Cruz. Um, and, and first of all, the, the people uh, really, can, the families uh, of the victims, the students who were there, the, the general Parkland community, 
um, they are they are struggling. I talked about the anniversary triggering PTSD, but in general, uh, as well, they are struggling. They are feeling angst. They're feeling sadness. They're feeling frustrated. They're still grieving. Many of them, most of them, um, of course, you know more all the more if they if a family lost someone or there someone was injured um, but um, they they talk about how uh, there are signs still all over the place Parkland strong and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas strong and so there's this feeling that on the one hand they should act strong and be strong and on the other hand they're not really feeling strong they're trying to it's been a year but um, there is so much that they are still angry and frustrated about and sad about, um, particularly because not much has changed in terms of um, the, what's been done to prevent another attack in the future at this high school or other high schools in Florida or other high schools in general. And there's also a lot of uh, anger and discontent amongst the people of Parkland because of the fact that the people who were responsible, at least some of the people, some of the major people who were responsible for uh, the security being lax and the uh, response being um, bad, uh, you know, not be, you know, the, the, the police who stayed outside or the sheriffs that stayed outside and didn't go in and, um, didn't protect uh, the students. So, and so, so far, uh, the, the former Broward County Sheriff, Scott Israel, he, it was only one month ago that he was suspended. And that's because the new governor, Ron DeSantis, came in and he suspended him. But this sheriff was allowed to stay in his job for almost a whole year after he botched the whole shooting incident. And um, now he is uh, having a legal campaign to get his job back. And then also, um, there is still a lot of call, as there should be, for the superintendent, Robert Runcie, to be fired. Somehow he has managed to keep his job. I mean, obviously, somehow. You know, obviously, this is all politics and who they know and, and um, all of that. But there is really no excuse for the people who are, 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 in a, are in part responsible for this tragedy, for them to still have their jobs. And also, of course, if they still have their jobs, then who's to say that they're not going to botch the next school shooting? Now, of course, the chances of a school shooting at the same school, I mean, in a way, it's not that high. And in another way, there are copycats who, like... You know, it's been thought that um, maybe uh, Nicholas Cruz's brother, he was found, this is a long time ago, ne actually near, soon after the incident a year ago, the Parkland tragedy, um, Nicholas Cruz's brother was found on the campus. And, um, you know, he, it was unclear what he was doing there and they got very upset that he was there and so on. But, but the point is um, that these people who were incompetent shouldn't still have their job. And they don't just, uh, they're not just responsible for, for um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. They're responsible for other high schools in Florida, other schools in Florida. So um, the other things that have happened, the, um, the state legislator, like legislature, 
uh, after Parkland, did put some uh, controls in, some gun controls in. Uh, notably, they increased the age that the person has to be to buy a gun. They put in a three-day waiting period. But there is still controversy over whether these things are hard enough, you know, whether this is enough control, or some people think it's too much control and they want it to be rolled back. Now, I promised I would tell you the second thing that um, makes me the most angry, besides, of course, um, the fact that Nicholas Cruz was not stopped by the, the many mental health professionals that he saw along the way, and that is that um, while there have been, you know, while there has been great tragedy, um, there have been a few students, notably Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg, Hogg, that's a great name for him, he has hogged the spotlight. And they have, this in a way, and I know this is going to be controversial, some people will think I'm being too harsh, but um, in a way, this is the best thing that happened to them. I'm not saying that they weren't psychologically scarred, that they weren't sad, that they lost their friends, but uh, we wouldn't, today we would not know who Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg are were it not for uh, Parkland. And especially David Hogg is, um, uh, you know, there are some, I'm in touch with some of the people connected to Parkland, and there is talk that um, he wasn't even really there, or he wasn't, um, like he ran, he wasn't there, or he ran away, and he came back after it was over. There's all kinds of, um, there are all kinds of rumors like that. I don't know what is true in regard to those rumors, but I am just mentioning it. Um, and well, let me, so, and he particularly, before Parkland happened, he already had um, a plan. He was supposedly choosing between engineering and journalism, but he was, had plans to, uh, he wanted to, to be in the media in some way. Um, and, and he got his dream when, um, when this tragedy happened and he is going full tilt. And I'm gonna, I'll tell you more about him, but let me just mention, now Emma Gonzalez, she, um, she was 19, um, she uh, was a senior and president of the school's Gay-Straight Alliance. She was in the auditorium when Nicholas Cruz came in. She was hiding, she was comforting fellow students, and she was searching the internet for updates until the authorities came in and, and helped them to exit the school. And then her claim to fame began when she took on President Trump and the NRA and politicians and every foe of stricter gun laws in a speech that she made in Fort Lauderdale just days after the shooting. And she said, we call BS. That was her recurring theme in her speech. And when she, she was saying that towards the people who could have prevented the attack or the facts that are some people who are saying that stricter gun laws wouldn't help. Um, or, and now her Twitter handle has more than 1.6 million followers. Um, I mean, now she, uh, she's currently attending the New College of Florida. She was honored by Variety as one of the five 2018 Power of Women. Um, but she at least 
you know, she was very strident. She is very strident. And um, I think she's sincere in what she is trying to, in her, you know, what she is trying to accomplish. Um, she was not, she didn't start out before Parkland looking to have, at least that is not, has not been reported about her. Um, it does not seem that she started out wanting to have a career in the spotlight before Parkland. Um, David Hogg, on the other hand, <laughs> he was a senior at the time, and um, he, at the time of Parkland, of the shooting, he had an internship at the local paper, the South Florida Sun Sentinel, and if you've been um, looking at, uh, you know, if you've been following Parkland, the Sun Sentinel was the one who had most reports um, about about Parkland, and of course, you know, he, he had an internship there at the time. And um, now he, according to him, he was crouched in a dark classroom when the shooting started, and then he waited for a SWAT team to come and escort him out to safety. And get this, so while he was waiting, he turned on his phone's video recorder, which is really not what you're supposed to do, as you may well know, you know, in, in classes where you learn what you're supposed to do when there's an active shooter, one of the things that you do um, is to not make your, your iPhone, your cell phone, um, make any noise. And he's, um, you know, turning, on, turning it on, having it be on in order to record. Anyhow, he, and he narrated, not just the, the, the cell phone being on, but he narrated the events. Do you get? So he put all his other students around him in danger as he's uh, making himself a journalist. Um, so then uh, he gave the video to the Sun Sentinel, and then he went back to school and started um, uh, holding court with the TV crews that came. And he, um, the next day he was on Good Morning America and he, he was off and running. And now he's written a book with his younger sister called Never Again, A New Generation Draws the Line. Now, interestingly, um, he did not get uh, admission to UCLA and a few other top schools. And, but somehow, <laughs> somehow he is now going to, he took a, a gap year this year because he wants to go around, is going around talking uh, across the nation about gun control. Um, and he says that he's going to enroll in Harvard in the fall. Well, so the reason, you know, it just seems that this has hijacked the whole Parkland tragedy. These two students, particularly David Hogg, have just been thinking of themselves and yes, is there some sincerity about gun control? Yes. But with David Hogg in particular, the main sincerity is towards making himself uh, be in the spotlight. Well, when we come back, we'll talk more about this. I'll tell you about a family, um, get up close and personal with a family who is uh, suffering, and a family of a, of a student who was killed. And, um, and then also I'll, I'll close with talking to you about prevention. What could have been done, what should be do, what should be done in the future. You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. 
Now back to the Terrace Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back. Today we're doing a one-year retrospective, an analysis through the lens of the Terrorist Therapist um, of Parkland. The one-year anniversary was Valentine's Day, and um, I have been talking about one year later, where are they now? Um, I'm going to tell you the story about one particular family because this often gets lost in um, talking about a tragedy like Parkland. Uh, You know, we hear how many people got killed and how many people got injured, but we don't really get to the heart of the story by digging deeper into um, the individual families and what the pain that they're going through. So I'm going to tell you about the Shentrup family. There once was a girl named Carmen Shentrup, She was one week away from celebrating her 17th birthday when Nicholas Cruz um, came into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, and she was one of the students who were shot and killed. And um, she was a talented musician. She wanted to become a medical researcher and particularly to find a cure for Uh, the disease ALS, a neurodegenerative disease. So she had all these dreams. And um, her parents, she had uh, uh, two parents and a younger sister and an older brother. And the uh, family, since since Parkland, the family moved um, fairly recently to to Washington, the, the... the state of Washington, partly because the, the father um, has had a tech job um, that moved him, his company, or his up, the job opportunity was in the state of Washington, but um, partly because they could not stay in, in Florida, that the, the reminders of the loss of their daughter, of course, were everywhere, and it was just too painful for them to uh, be reminded every day. I mean, not, not that they wanted to forget their daughter, of course, but I mean to be reminded of the tragedy, to be reminded not just of their daughter and their wonderful memories of her, but um, of the Parkland shooting. So um, interestingly, the, her sister um, talks about how, um, you know, her sister really, her younger sister did not want to move because um, she didn't want to leave her friends. And she's 14, the sister Evelyn is 14. And she um, hated leaving her friends, but she understood that it was important for her parents to move because of how distressed they were during the time that they were all still living in Parkland after the shooting. And so, um, so she, you know, that was, it was really brave of her, in other words, to, um, to, to do that, to, um, to be willing to, to think of, of her parents instead of herself, that, that it was, um, you know, that she was willing to, to move and leave her friends and, and, you know, leave the comfort of her friends after this tragedy um, because of, in order to help her parents. Now, so, so Evelyn went to school, began school when they moved 
to Washington and um, she was trying to be brave and she started having panic attacks uh, after a, a little while. She, um, she, th she says that she thinks that the change was just too much and that, you know, she moved to a different state, she went to a different school and she started having panic attacks and she was unable to stop crying. And so her family decided, and she decided, that, um, that she couldn't go to a regular school. And uh, that, so she's uh, doing online studies, which is kind of sad. Um, it's never as good to be, for anybody, nothing to do with the parkland, but it is never as good for people to do um, home study, online studying, rather than having the socialization and everything else that real school offers. Just a side side comment, but she was feeling um, she was feeling being in that school suffocating, and her parents felt suffocated in Parkland before they left, um, and it was just uh, part part of the thing is that you know the family got more and more angry the more they learned about all the things that caused this this uh, attack that could have been fixed like the FBI had received tips months before the incident and it just kind of fell through the cracks. Remember people saw postings of Nicholas Cruz online and they warned the FBI. They showed he had guns and, uh, and so on online, made statements and they sent this, got the FBI to pay attention. Well, they sent it to the FBI, but, um, but the FBI, FBI did not really do anything. Um, and, they ha and since then, the FBI has admitted that the tips fell through the cracks. Uh, then, you know, of course, the security, gates that were left unlocked, a delay in calling a code red alert once the shooting began, the, um, the officers who didn't respond, who didn't go in to confront Nicholas Cruz, and, of course, all the people over the years who um, didn't do anything to to put Nicholas Cruz in the hospital or give him sufficient psychiatric treatment. And the father of this family said, um, lots of people knew this person was troubled. He signaled his intent for years. The only thing more he could have done to signal his intent was to buy a billboard on I-95 and put a billboard up there because he was telling people all the time that he wanted to go do bad things. Um, People were taking this information and giving it to the people who were supposed to do something with it. All of them were failing. It was just failure after failure after failure. So, you know, imagine that. Um, you lose somebody you love, and then you find out afterwards about all of these things that could have and should have happened to prevent it. So um, then, of course, the mother talks about about what does she say, you know, meeting new friends in this new um, place that she moved to. They ask her, how, you know, the normal questions, how many children do you have and how old are they? And she hasn't been able to find a good answer. She doesn't want to, not, she doesn't want to leave out her daughter that she has or had um, a daughter, Carmen, who was killed, but she hasn't really found a way to, to say it, you know, um, like, one way she thought of is to say, I have a son in college and a daughter who's home studying with us and one who's in heaven, but that didn't feel right. And then other ways that she thought of, and she, her also her, her, her experience was also that 
whenever people would ask, where did you come from? And whenever she would say Parkland, people would say, oh, uh, that's the place with the shooting. That's the place with the activists. Um, that's, uh, uh, you know, the gun control uh, place. That's, that's where all the activists want gun control. And she said it was so painful that nobody, nobody was asking about or remembering the students who died. It was all about these activists, and that's what I was talking about earlier with David Hogg. It's become all about these activists. If you walk down the street and ask anybody, name one of the students who died or one of the students who were injured, I will bet you <laughs> that 99% of them couldn't give you an answer. But if you ask them, who are some of the activists who are trying for gun control, who came from the Parkland, you know, uh, shooting incident, they would tell you Emma Gonzalez, or particularly they would know the name of David Hogg. And that is sad. And that is, is totally unfair and not right. And it is, it is not their names that should be remembered. It's the names of the student, students who were killed or injured. Well, so prevention. Uh, how do we prevent these things from happening in the future? The number one thing is psychiatric better psychiatric treatment, better screening. Nicholas Cruz was, was known to be um, a loner, a problem, troubled child. From the time he entered kindergarten, actually, there are reports about that, that he was, he was noticed from the time he entered school. And, um, and, you know, at some point they put him in special classes and so on. But um, so, so these are the kind, I mean, it's true what the father said. He, he, the only thing more he could have done was get a billboard. Um, and yet he was, he was given some special classes and so on, but then he was um, rejected from the school, which is another reason why he came back to that school and shot it up because he was angry. Um, at them for not only for the bullying he had before, but for uh, being expelled from the school. So we need better screening at younger, starting at younger grades, and we need better mental health professionals and notably the mental health professionals who are not wimps and aren't afraid to put people against their will in the hospital. You know, it used to be, this, this all came about because years ago, um, too many people were put in the hospital against their will and kept there for too long. And so um, it, the pendulum has now swung the other way. And now people, more people are on the streets, literally, or, you know, or just out in society who should have been hospitalized. And even sometimes when they are hospitalized against their will, it's for 72 hours. And after that, um, if a psychiatrist won't say that they still need to be there or a judge or the representative from the court who comes to the school to have a hearing doesn't um, keep the person in there, then they're left out, they're, they're allowed to leave after 72 hours, which is not enough <laughs> to treat someone who is psychotic, because if you start them on meds or get them back on their meds, that is not enough time for, for that to work, not to mention it's not enough time for psychotherapy. Arming teachers, I am totally against that. That will make um, students feel anxious, more anxious all the time. Teachers did not sign up to be shooters, to be uh, security guards. And, um, and there is more of a chance of a student getting shot than a school shooter. 
Um, school shooter drills. School shooter drills are doing more damage than good as well. In fact, there have been studies where it was found that students in schools where there are at least five security measures, such as cameras, guards, resource officers, locker checks, uh, sniffing dogs, uh, those students actually feel less safe because these things are constant reminders of the fact that school shootings um, can happen. Now, the number of school shootings, although yes, they are, there are way too many of them, but the number of school shootings compared to the number of students who are freaked out by these drills and too anxious to learn in school after that is, is not comparable. It's more important to have this, I mean, yes, should there be some security measures taken? Yes, not arming teachers and not these drills and not to the extent that they do them in any case and or they should be done in a different manner. This, the way they're done now without explaining to kids what's going on, it's just freaking them out. Um, gun control, you know, yes, I'm all, I, I'm not for gun control per se, but should there be an age, um, should, should people have to be older to get guns? Yes. Should there be a three-day waiting period? Yes. Uh, should there be a psychiatric background check? Yes. All of these things are reasonable, but gun control per se, to the extent that, uh, that um, these activists are calling for it, is unnecessary. Also, it's important to note that uh, the more money that's spent on security measures, the, where do you think that money comes from? In a lot of cases, it comes from the same funds that would have been spent on books and supplies and teacher salaries and things like that. So it's not free. Well, okay, I hope I gave you a things to think about that you are not hearing, I can assure you, on the uh, mainstream media. Um, and so what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that um, Nicholas Cruz may not be an ISIS member, um, but he is, has been a kind of terrorist, as are all the school shooters, because of their perpetrating terror. And we do need to work on these things for prevention, but not to have a knee-jerk reaction and, uh, you know, do uh, stringent gun control, but to do, to work more on, on um, screening and treatment of, uh, of children who are troubled. And the truth is, the sad truth is, there are more and more children these days who are troubled, who come from broken families and who are troubled. So we need this kind of screening and treatment all the more. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. 